may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. We can find all this information on the Department of Labor website, but uh, Labor Day was first established in 1882. New York City quickly became a national holiday about 12 years later. So from whatever, whatever that math is, 12 years after 1882, we have had the tradition of setting apart the Sunday, the first Monday of September as a celebration of the industry of the American worker. And so here's something you can find on that website of the Department of Labor. Our nation has good reason to give thanks for its workers. The vital force of labor has added materially to the highest standard of living, the greatest production the world has ever known, and has brought us closer to the realization of our traditional ideals of economic and political democracy. It is appropriate, therefore, that the nation pay tribute on Labor Day to the creator of so much of the nation's strength, freedom, and leadership, that is, the American worker. So I'm glad to have a day set apart to... Uh, well, the rest, but also it's a good reason. The uh, Americans are industrious, I think. It's one of our defining qualities. Whenever I hear about, you know, nations with 35-hour work weeks and retirement age at 35, I think, oh, come now, please. Uh, it's one of the things that make us who we are, isn't it? We're hard workers, and I think that's a great thing. Work is important, and I think we're going to find that the Bible has plenty to say to affirm the value of work and its importance. Uh, but I think we just all know it intuitively. Uh, let's say you work on average 55 hours a week. Some of you may work more than that. Some of you may work less. 55 hours, though. If that's how much you work, give or take a couple of weeks for vacation, that means you'll spend 2,640 hours this year alone at work. The only thing that will become close to rivaling that is uh, sleep. Work just consumes a phenomenal amount of our, our energy, our time. Uh, our work shapes a good portion of our identity. Now, of course, you can be unhelpfully defined by your work, you know, completely wrapped up in what you do. But I think it's a good and healthy thing, uh, a natural first question to say, so what do you do as a way to get to know somebody, right? As knowing what someone does tells us a little bit about who they are and what matters to them. We gain satisfaction from work. Are a few things a little more satisfying than you know, putting your hand to the plow and really getting some good work done during the day. And of course, we all know that work is incredibly frustrating as well, whether the lack of work or work that doesn't quite fit who we are or frustration that comes in all of our works. I think the Bible is so affirming. I find the Bible so affirming of our experience of work. Firstly, the Bible affirms that work really matters. It's just interesting for us to pause and think. It's the, the, the fact that Jesus came as a carpenter, that God created us out of the dust of the earth. These are things that you probably know, but they are a phenomenal uh, uh, um, affirmation of work. The carpenter. We think carpenter, nail and hammer. Probably a carpenter referred to uh, a masonry. You know, think of the, what Palestine looks like. Not a whole lot of trees, a lot of, a lot of rocks. Jesus was probably a mason building stuff out of stone. Now think of what his hands must have looked like. Have you ever shook hands with a mason? I mean, they, they, they have 
arms that look like Popeyes, where, where a house is under construction, so I'm very familiar with what masons look like. Uh, they carry around these concrete masonry units, one in each hand, and their hands are calloused and rough. And that's what Jesus' hands probably looked like. He had the hands of a working man. Think of how God created you and me as the, given in the Genesis account. He doesn't just say, hey, uh, sprout. No, he gets involved with the dirt. He, mold, he has dirt under his fingernails, anthropologically speaking. He molds us out of, he, like, like his son, he was working with the earth. Again, just a phenomenal affirmation of labor. In our passage that we heard from Genesis, we hear that labor is passed on to you and me as uh, God entrusts Adam and Eve with stewarding his creation. God creates, we cultivate his creation, and all of legitimate work is somehow tied into that broad category of cultivating. Regardless of what you do, you're somehow cultivating. The Bible affirms the challenges of work. The third chapter of Genesis, on account of the fall of humanity, work is cursed. Work is not the curse. Work is cursed. It's now what was joyful and fulfilling has become full, filled with thorns and by, uh, done by the sweat of the brow. And we're all very familiar with that experience as well. If you're awake at night, at say two o'clock in the morning, my hunch is that you're probably thinking of one of two things, family or work. And my experience is usually the latter that keeps me awake at night. And so we all know the reality of the frustration of work. And all I'm saying is here is that the Bible understands you and me and understands the value of work. It's part of our tradition at Christ the King to hear from a parishioner on Labor Day Sunday. Every Labor Day Sunday, a parishioner shares about what they do. They share about how they came to do what they're doing. In other words, we hear this word of calling, right, of vocation, and very few of us have heard the go do this kind of audible voice from heaven. We have, most of our callings come from very circuitous paths. It's only in hindsight that we can see the hand of providence guiding our footsteps, right? And so I think it's helpful to hear how God may have uh, guided somebody's footsteps to their calling. And we want to hear a little bit about what they do, not just the kind of the mechanics and the punching the clock, but what, what's, what's the real heart of, of the job? Uh, why does it matter? Why would it matter to God what they do? And so this morning, I've asked Amy Lehman to share about her work. Amy and Ted, their three children, three children have been part of Christ the King for four, five years now. Amy majored in elementary education and taught the fourth grade, and she'll share a little bit more about that. During her time as an educator, she also pursued a degree in counseling and was able to marry those two, uh, those two callings, both as an educator and as a counselor. She now is a part-time counselor at Alexandria Country Day School. That may ring a bell for some of you. That's where we first began our, our, uh, the church over on Alexandria Country Day on Russell Road. Amy is a part-time counselor there, as well as maintaining a private practice as well. So, Amy, thank you for sharing a little bit about what you do and why you do it. Good morning. <laughs> Rule number one, right? <clears throat> when David asked me to speak about my work, 
I admit that I was initially hesitant and thought of numerous reasons why I was not the best person for the job. At the top of the list is the fact that I'm currently in a season of life with little or no margin. As a full-time working mom with three kids and a husband who's also in a very demanding season of his career, I often find myself with not a lot of time or brain power to spare. However, my yes tendency won out, and I'm thankful that it did. Over these summer months, it's been a gift to reflect on my own work and my overall career. And it's certainly something that I would not have done on my own. As David mentioned, I am a licensed professional counselor, commonly known as an LPC. And I split my time between a K through eight school and a private practice. The type of counseling that I do in these two settings can be drastically different and amazingly similar. If you were to peek into a day in my life as a school counselor, you would find me mediating recess disputes, teaching classroom lessons on topics such as debugging, which is what to do if someone's bugging you, consulting with teachers on student behavior concerns, and hosting students in my lunch, in my office for lunch, affectionately known as lunch bunches. There's rarely a dull moment. There's a different rhythm to my days in private practice. On any given day, I could see eight to nine clients, aging in, ranging in age from five to 45. Most clients come through my door eagerly, some bounding, some running. On occasion, there are some that come who are a bit more reticent, which is why our office keeps drinks, snacks, and prizes, mostly for the kids, to ease the transition. The intensity of the sessions vary based on the client's age and issue. These issues can include anxiety, depression, self-esteem, body image, grief and loss, ADHD, family relationships, anger management, and separation or divorce. As, as, as I have reflected on my professional journey, I can see now with clarity how God has been adjusting and rearranging the pieces of my life with purpose. Though I couldn't discern it at the time, he was preparing me for this particular moment. So the natural question, of course, is how did I arrive at where I am today? My career began 18 years ago when I wrapped up my senior year in college and headed to the big city to teach. I grew up in rather rural Lancaster County, went to college in rather rural Harrisonburg, Virginia. So upon graduation, I was ready to spread my wings and broaden my horizons. I moved to Washington, D.C. and applied to D.C. public schools. I accepted a fourth grade teaching position at Raymond Elementary School in the Georgia Petworth area, which at the time, 18 years ago, was a pretty tough spot. However, I was young, I was passionate, and I felt called to be there. We had a good but tough-minded principal and a diverse staff. A handful of those staff were young Teach for America teachers with whom I felt a particular bond and together we were ready to change the world one young mind at a time. I'm sure we annoyed and even offended at times the older, more seasoned teachers with our air of confidence. I poured hours and hours of my time into setting up my classroom, preparing for the 26 little souls that were in my charge. About 30 minutes into the first day of school, three police officers entered my classroom and arrested one of my students mind you, a 10-year-old, for shoplifting. 
As you can imagine, the classroom erupted in chaos, and the rest of the day was a blur. By the grace of God, I made it to the closing bell that day. I closed my door, and I cried, wondering what in the world I had gotten myself into. However, God was faithful, and he used that experience to teach me that I indeed did not know everything, and that I did need to lean on the support of people around me. In particular, God gave me Cassandra Wilkins. Cassandra taught fourth grade in the classroom beside me. We were different in almost every way, but as a seasoned teacher, she shared her wisdom and supported me through many difficult days. Eventually, a beautiful friendship was formed, which still lasts today. Although I picked up many good teaching strategies, I learned the most through the relationships that I formed over those three years at Raymond. I learned about resilience and grit from many of my students, particularly those that entered my classroom speaking little or no English. I learned about race and culture from my relationships with, with the seasoned teachers of the school, most of whom were African-American. I also learned a lot about my own strengths and weaknesses. The lessons in humility were the toughest to swallow. It was through those years in the classroom that I realized that I enjoyed the relationship aspect of teaching more than the instructional part of the job. I applied to graduate school and enrolled in George Washington's Masters of School Counseling program. When I graduated from GW, I accepted a counseling position at Holy Trinity School in Georgetown. School counseling positions were scarce, so I was happy just to get a job. I did feel a little sense of guilt, wondering if I could be as useful in this affluent Catholic school as I was in my inner city classroom. I spent eight years in that wonderful school and formed close relationships with the administration, faculty, and families. It was an incredibly tight-knit and supportive community, the perfect place for a rookie counselor to grow and to learn. In addition to serving as a school counselor, I also directed the school scholarship program, which gave full, 10 full scholarships plus academic and mentoring support to 10 at-risk students. I love serving in that role and felt it was the perfect marriage of my previous teaching experience in addition and my newly acquired counseling skills. Working at Holy Trinity was also my first real exposure to Catholicism and more specifically, the Jesuits. Not growing up in a liturgical church, it was at Holy Trinity that I was first introduced to and fell in love with liturgy. As a faculty member, I attended chapel services and mass in their beautiful historic church. I also participated in the Jesuit spiritual exercises, including the daily examine, which became an important part of my own faith journey. I enjoyed strong relationships with the young Jesuit priests who maintained a strong presence at the school. And looking back on it, it was also the first time that I sought out a clergy member for spiritual and personal advice. So as you can imagine, moving on from Holy Trinity was tough. However, looking back on it, and even in the moment, I could feel God nudging me forward. During my eight years at Holy Trinity, I'd slowly been working toward my professional counseling licensure, which would allow me to work with clients in private practice. State of Virginia has pretty rigorous requirements, so it took about four years of accumulating experience hours plus two hours of weekly supervision to be at the point where I was eligible to take my exam. 
After passing my exam, I lost motivation for moving outside the school counseling world into private practice. I was comfortable at Holy Trinity, and I knew I was pretty good at my job. Heading out on my own seemed scary and overwhelming. However, when I became pregnant with our second child, we knew it was going to be a financial stretch for me to stay there, so I began praying about the next step. Two days after our second child, Emma Claire, was born, I received a phone call from a friend. She needed to leave her position at a practice in Old Town and was wondering if I had any interest in taking her place. Almost immediately, I knew it was something that I needed to pursue, although I really didn't want to. In my postpartum fog, I went to Old Town to meet with the director of the practice. The weeks and months following that meeting were somewhat of a blur, but in the end, Ted and I decided that joining this private practice would give me the flexibility in my schedule and the potential for financial margin that we needed. For four years, I worked in private practice full-time, seeing an average of 20 clients a week. Two years ago, after desperately missing the school environment, I accepted a part-time job at Alexandria Country Day School, and I currently split my week between the school and private practice. So now to the big question. Why am I in this line of work, and how does this work matter in God's kingdom? First, I'm in this line of work because I love stories, specifically people's stories. If you're ever looking for me at the library, check the biography section. I'm a firm believer that everyone has a story and each person's story is important. As Christians, I believe we are called to value each person's story. As a counselor, I get to be part of my client's stories. When someone walks into my office, whether they're five or 45, I consider it an honor and privilege that people are willing to share their lives with me, particularly the not so fun or the icky parts. Second, I'm in this line of work because I believe that active listening is one of the most powerful ways we can show care to those around us. I'll go one step farther and say that I think it's something we as Christians are called to do. Some of my favorite passages of scripture are those where Jesus is listening and responding to people, particularly those who are sick and hurting. I've learned that healing and growth can begin when people just know that someone is listening, believes in them, and is invested in their story. Third, I'm in this line of work because pain, sorrow, and brokenness are real. I'll be the first to admit that I've lived a pretty cushy life up to this point. Loving parents, Christian upbringing, nothing too dramatic. Through my work, I have a deeper appreciation for the many ways this broken world manifests itself. I've sat with parents after the unexpected death of their young child. I've helped clients recognize patterns of addiction. I've helped parents strategize the best way to tell their children about an impending separation or divorce. I've worked with teenagers wrestling with body image, identity, and eating disorders. I visited a family the day after they learned of a parent's suicide. I've helped students manage test and anxiety performance. I've listened to people of all ages describe the depths of depression and the debilitating nature of anxiety. I've also learned that, that humans are built to be resilient, particularly in the presence of pain. Some people need to be reminded of their resilience. Some need to be coached and given the tools. 
Fourth, I'm in this line of work because it's challenging and it pushes me outside my comfort zone. When I left Holy Trinity, I will be, and I took the leap into private practice, I went through a crisis of confidence. The intensity of working with people one-on-one -on -one, rather than in a school setting where I was part of a team sent me into a tailspin. The weight and responsibility that I felt toward my clients consumed me. I second-guessed my own abilities despite the fact that my client load was growing. Those insecurities turned into anger, and looking back on it, I know I threw a full-on adult hissy fit. I prayed and even begged that God would open the door for me to go back to the school setting. I spent much of my brain power convincing myself that I was not in a season of life where I should be working this hard. I spent countless hours talking to friends and trying to figure out how I could get myself back into the schools. I became angry at myself for walking away from my comfortable position at Holy Trinity and entering this stressful world of private practice. Then, after months of throwing my hissy fit, God responded. Or at least I was quiet enough to hear God's response. It happened on a Sunday morning here at Christ the King as we were saying our closing prayer, the same closing prayer I'd said dozens of times before. And now, Father, send us out into the world to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. It hit me like a ton of bricks. What I was doing at that very moment was the work that God had given me to do. It was okay that I had some insecurities. It was okay that the work was hard and stretched me. For many weeks following, that prayer became my battle cry. I might venture to say on the really hard weeks that I needed that prayer to sustain me through the week. Lastly, I'm in this type of work because I believe it's important to surround our young people with godly adults particularly in the secular setting. I don't have to tell you that being a, a kid, a teenager, is hard. Teenagers in particular are bombarded with temptations. Their worlds are very loud, and they need people outside of their parents to listen, ask good questions, and challenge them. A few years ago, several women from Christ the King visited the Mariah Center, a crisis pregnancy center here in Alexandria. The director at that time was a feisty older woman who told us numerous stories about her work with some of the young pregnant women. When we asked her how she incorporated her faith into her interactions with the women, she said to us, you know, I don't talk to the women about God, but you better believe that I talk to God about the women. That struck me, and it struck me as incredibly relevant to my work, and I tried to apply that strategy with my clients. Despite the fact that I'm working in a secular setting, and under most circumstances, don't bring my faith into the session. That doesn't prevent me from talking to God about my clients and praying for them. What a powerful thing to have godly people praying for our children, particularly in settings where faith doesn't have much of a forum. In many ways, I'm a very unlikely counselor. I crave structure and order. I like when things have a beginning and have a very neat ending. And incidentally, one of my pet peeves is awkward moments. <laughs> Counseling sessions are full of all of these things. However, I'm grateful that God has led me to a career where I'm able to walk beside, encourage, guide, and sometimes just sit with people during their times of sadness and struggle.
And in the tough weeks, when I'm particularly drained or depleted, I'm grateful to have my battle cry prayer that reminds me that I'm going out into the world doing the work that God has given me to do. Thank you. Thank you, Amy, for being willing to share a little bit about your work. I think those are good questions for us, appropriate questions on a Labor Day, Sunday, Labor Day, weekend. What is it you do? Not just the mechanics of it, but what's the heart of it? Who are you serving? How are you stewarding? How are you forming? How are you shaping uh, God's good creation and the way that Amy is stewarding and shaping young lives? What is it that you do? Second question, why do you do it? Looking back, can you see a little bit of that little gentle hand of providence sort of saying yes there, no there? What is your work and why are you called to it or how are you called to it? Those are good questions for us to ask. I think the questions that God cares about, I think the questions that the Bible wants us to ponder. So let's ponder them uh, before Tuesday comes and life gets too busy for us to think about those types of things. Well, it's, uh, the prayer that Amy referenced is actually a part of our communion service, and this was a, uh, obviously a morning prayer service, so we're not going to say that prayer, but I bet if I started it, and if I could find it, uh, you could join along with me that prayer that she cited, uh, send us out into the world to do the work you have given us to do. So I'll start it. You jump on it if you, if you uh, recognize it. And now, Father, send us out into the world to do the work you have given us to do, to love as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. May the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest with you and remain with you always.